online shopping is very much about entertainment. Right. It's not just about I'm looking for a thing and I'm going to buy it at the best price. It's also about the experience of, of possibility, right? What, what's, what's available to me? You ready for episode 181? Woo! What's going on? Welcome to the Biz Women Rock Podcast. I'm your host, Katie Kremitzos. This podcast was created so that you would have direct access to the true stories of what it's like being a businesswoman, the real true journey of very savvy, very smart businesswomen. If you love these stories, then make sure you go to bizwomenrock.com and opt in so that you can get updated on all the latest podcast interviews, as well as how you can become a more active part of the whole Biz Women Rock community, which kind of rocks. So go to bizwomenrock.com. It's about time that we get to talk about sex on this show. I have been waiting for over a year to do so. (laughs) Okay, so we're not talking about sex per se, but we do have Katrina McKay as my guest on the show. She's the founder of a company called O Canada, and uh, it is an online uh, all things sexy store. So she's got lingerie, she's got toys, she's got all sorts of things that make you feel sexy. And she also does now have a uh, physical retail location in Canada as well. And on top of this awesome sexy business, she also has a consultancy and uh, which was like a marketing consultancy at first. Now it's a business consultancy. She does coaching. She's a speaker. She invests in other people's businesses uh, as she's working with them when it makes sense sometimes. So uh, she just is a self-proclaimed very characteristic uh, serial entrepreneur. And so this conversation not only goes into the specifics of how she runs O Canada and how she's grown it, how she gets traffic there, how she's built out the team, how uh, she goes and sources the best of the best sex toys (laughs) and sexy things. But we also go into how she manages and handles all of the different interests that she has. So, um, you know, my guess is that you probably have many interests. So if you would like to see many of those interests actually be successful in business, Uh, Katrina is a really good person to listen to. And if you have an online store, um, this is also a really great conversation about how to just keep on building that and how to distinguish yourself from competitors. She is a very heavily saturated market, sex toys and sexy things. And uh, and so we really talk about how she distinguishes herself, uh, which is very interesting, by the way. And at the end, you know how much I love getting the not so pretty stories because I think that makes this whole thing called business very real and tangible for a lot of us. Um, so she really goes into two of the most tough moments that she's had in business. And I think they're very revealing. Um, and I think that there's a lot to learn there. So stay tuned towards the very end when you get to hear her answer that question. Okay, let's get into it. Miss Katrina, what's going on, girl? Thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited. As we're talking, I'm just a little over a year into the show, and I'm so grateful that I finally can talk about sex on the show. <laughs> and right? sexy things. <laughs> and the business of sexy things. So <laughs> thank you for being yeah, here. Yeah, this is your this episode I think is gonna be the perfect intersection of basically my two greatest passions in life, which are sex 
and business. Beautiful. Love it. And uh, I think many of us have those two passions. We don't often get to talk about, you know, the former one. So <laughs> so we'll be, <laughs> we'll be able to do that through the business lens, which is super cool. But thank you for being on the show. Um, I am so fascinated by you as an entrepreneur um, because you are kind of self-proclaimed the characteristic uh, serial entrepreneur. You love a lot of really great entrepreneurial ideas and don't hesitate to move forward with them. And I think that that's a common thing for a lot of women out there. But I want to hone in on a couple different entrepreneurial uh, gigs that you have going right now so we can really learn a lot about how you have done this entrepreneurial game. So let's start out with a little bit just about kind of like what got you into entrepreneurialism in the first place? Like, what, where are your roots as a businesswoman? Sure. I, I think I've always been an entrepreneur. And I know that sounds really cliche, but I was always that kid who was creating something or other and wanted people to pay for it. <laughs> you know, like like the, the lemonade stand or, you know, I sold greeting cards when I was like 10 years old, all that kind of stuff. And so I think the idea of creating something and then making money from it has always been really, really interesting to me. So, And so I, I sort of had this entrepreneurial kind of feeling in me. And I think a lot of women can identify with this. A lot of entrepreneurs can identify with this. I always sort of had the, this entrepreneurial inclination, and it started to show up in different ways. So I'd work for companies that were really entrepreneurial and allowed me to experiment and, and push the envelope, and that was really exciting to me. And then I ended up at a company where my role was much more traditional. It was very senior it was other people's dream job in many ways, and I hated it. Mm. You know, I just, I couldn't hack it. I, I felt really frustrated. I felt like I wasn't able to be my best self. And so that's really when it kind of clicked with me. It was about two years into this very senior role that I got lots of accolades for, and, and hated, that's when it really clicked for me that I was like, you know what, I, I need to start my own thing. Like, it's, it's in me to do that. And so I actually started it while I was still working at my nine to nine, as I called it. The nine to nine. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> yeah, people think it's so nine to five. And that ain't definitely, that's not the truth nowadays. Um, so was, is O Canada the first, like, exactly what you created right about that time? Yeah, so O Canada is the business I'm best known for, but I actually started two companies at the same time. One is now an international business consultancy. It started as a marketing consultancy specifically, and that's my background is, is marketing. And, and then O was started at the same time. So the funny story is that I started the marketing consultancy thinking, okay, I have lots of contacts in this industry, so as I'm making the transition from my nine to nine to full-time entrepreneur, it's going to be what's going to pay the bills so that I can keep the money flowing within O Canada mm. and, and keep, you know, keep putting that cash flow back into the company. But what actually ended up happening was I became very passionate about the consultancy as well. So what started out as just something that was going to feed me, basically, keep me fed and, and also keep O Canada feeding itself ended up being an entity unto itself. And so really I started the two at the same time, but in terms of being, well, 
in terms of being notable, I guess, I mean, everybody's going to fixate on the on the sexier business, and I'm <laughs> totally fine with that as well. You tell somebody that you're a business consultant, a business coach, and you run a lingerie and sex toy company, and the first two just fade away really fast. Well, you run into <laughs> their memory. You run into consultants and coaches a lot, and not right. so much with the whole, you know, uh, the sex lady thing, you know. Right. <laughs> so not <laughs> yes. so much with the sex store. Um, so I do. I want to focus on O Canada. Just as a business model in and of itself, so um, so can you just do a quick description of exactly what you provide, and then talk a little bit about your actual business model? And I know it's different now than what it started out as. So talk about it sure. kind of in present tense, and then we'll go back to the beginning to see kind of how you've you've built it out since. Okay, so at O, we consider ourselves a customer service company that happens to sell sexy things which is kind of a funny way of, of thinking about it, but that's really how we are different in the market and, and how we focus. So we are online, we're, so we're an e-com technically, and then we also have a physical boutique in downtown Toronto. And so we have the two sides. And then we sell everything that you can imagine to help people express their sexy, and that's how we say it. So we're really looking to help people live sexier lives in, in whatever way they define sexy, right? Because that's such an, an open-ended term. Right. So what fascinates me about your business is that you, there's so much competition out there within your niche. And yes. even though it's, <laughs> I'm going to call it an underground, but it's not, it's definitely not. But you know, like when you start looking at lingerie and sex toys and any, and you know, products, related products that you can get online. I mean, you, you start running into so many sites and so much stuff. So how have you really learned how to deal with competition and really stand out above that? Yeah. What's really interesting, I think in the sexy things industry, particularly sex toys, but, but also lingerie and really, any kind of fashion-related business, too, I think this applies to. Uh, it's, it's very easy to get into business, right? So the barrier to entry is, is quite low, uh, which means there are co- competitors that come up all the time. And I think if I knew at the time what I know now about how competitive the sex toy and laundry business is, uh, I think I still would have gone into it, but maybe with greater hesitation. Mm. So in some ways, being so naive about it was actually to my benefit. And really, thing with competition is all about, in my opinion, you don't play the game that other people are playing. Yeah. And and it's okay to do that when you first start out. And I think that that's how you learn. That's very much how we learn. But when we first launched, we were like, we're going to be cheaper than everybody else. And we're going to be nicer, and we're going to be friendlier. We're going to have this female-centered approach. And then as time went on, while we've held on to some of those things, we've also learned that that's really not how you win in the long term. That's not how you create a sustainable business. It's how you make a splash initially and maybe attract a bunch of customers. But you know, going into three years or, or five years, it's a very difficult game to keep playing if you want to scale. Right. So what have you found out that really works well for you as far as, once again, like really distinguishing you? And and I'm going to assume this circles back to the, we're a customer service company who, you know, specializes in sex things. So, um, right. you know, like how now, 
after all these lessons that you've learned, how how do you make sure that you you do stand out? I think for us, it's about taking a step back. So when you first start a business, and and you see this all the time as well from you know very notable experts in entrepreneurship, very successful entrepreneurs who are all about the hustle. And I think when you're when you're a new company, when you're a fledgling company, it is all about the hustle. But as time goes on, I think it becomes, at least for us, it's really become less about the hustle and more about strategic growth mm. and more about saying, okay, we're comfortable with sales as they are right now for the time being because we're focusing on some bigger wins. Got it. So it, I think that's really how you start. It's not a matter of even outthinking or outsmarting your competition. It's really looking, this sounds, this sounds very woo-woo, but looking at what is authentic about your company, what's authentic about your brand, um, where the passion is, and also what's working for you, and then capitalizing more on that, often at the, at the exclusion of other activities. Mm. I really, really love that. I think that focus on that strategy and, and zoning into what's at your core is brilliant. Um, so Thank you. It's hard to do. It's y- painful. Yeah, because it's not um, – you really have to slow down and focus on it. And it's not It's not always the fun stuff. Like you might want to go chase all these other cool ideas and let's try this and let's try that. But, you know, it, I think it's a disciplined thing to do, which really pays off. Um, so one of the things that you've had to become very good at is sourcing um, and, uh, you know, basically going out and finding the best of the best products that kind of fit within your model. So what, right. how do you do that? What is the strategy for you ha- that you have to find the best of the best stuff? Yeah, so it's really hard in the beginning. So um, my advice would be really for anybody listening who is going into a product-based business, it's really tough in the beginning because you get a lot of no's. And the reason you get a lot of no's from designers and manufacturers is that they're not inclined to want to open up an account for somebody who isn't going to be doing, you know, tens of thousands of dollars of business with them. Right. And so it's really a matter of knocking on a lot of doors initially. And and now that we've, we've been around for a little bit longer and we're able to make those, those bigger purchases, for us it's really about going directly to some of the big players, but also sourcing out some of the smaller guys and looking for what we think is going to resonate with our audience. And how we determine that is part art and part science. The art part is that someone on the team has got to really love the products that we're bringing in because there needs to be an evangelist on our team um, and we have to think there's something special about it. And then on the other side, we back it by numbers. So to give you a really practical example of that, um, we have a bustier that is very, very popular. And it's just very plain black, um, but it's a really great cut. And so when we're sourcing other items that are similar to that, we take basically the characteristics of it that we think made it the most popular in terms of sales numbers, and we look for something that we think will appeal to those same buyers. And that's where sort of the scientific part of it comes in. I really like So that there's an actual process behind that. I really like that. Um, it's really time consuming. And I think that a lot of businesses 
it's not that they can't be bothered, but they think, I think they rush a lot of the buying process. And I get that too, because that's where we used to be at as well. We were like, oh, what's the shiny new thing? Let's bring it in. But now we're very much more focused on who are our buyers specifically? What does, what does our audience want to see? What do they want us to bring in? And we determine that by sales numbers. So let the dollar speak to, you know, what you guys are continuing to buy. Yeah, I mean, lots of people will tell you that they love, you know, the all-silk, fluorescent pink, um, Rihanna-style bra. But when you tell them it's, you know, $250, actually, they'll even tell you at $250 they would buy it. But people really tell you what they really think with their dollars. That is very true. That is very, very true. Um, So... Uh, how much like what kind of volume do you guys do as far as like how many products do you sell on like let's say a monthly basis both online and offline right so we have about 200 SKUs I may even be underestimating this um because my my buying team is probably going to be listening and (laughs) screaming at me later because I'll be like you don't know you're so detached from this part of it now (laughs) um which is something I'm actually good at is, is is delegating to really smart amazing brilliant people um, so I may be wrong on our numbers here, but, um, we have a lot of SKUs and one thing that we try to do as well and is really part of actually what I'm calling our renaissance right now. I feel like we're, we're actually really changing as a business. So it's an exciting time to do this interview because I think, uh, it's in a process of, of extreme change, positive and exciting changes. Um, so one of the things that, uh, we're really focused on is keeping a consistent collection of products that, that make the most sense that we know are going to sell that are are logical for us to have in our collection. And then also bringing in some outliers because it's fun to kind of showcase some, some new things and to keep the attention of our audience. Because I think online shopping is very much about entertainment. Right. It's not just about I'm looking for a thing and I'm going to buy it at the best price. It's also about the experience of, of possibility, right? What, what's, what's available to me? And so we try and bring some stuff in in that category too, even if we don't think it's going to be necessarily um, a top seller. Mm, that's a good idea. So what kind of things are you doing to drive traffic to your site? Like where are you in the digital marketing space? Any Google ads, any Facebook ads? Um, You know, what are you doing to make sure that like people are finding you and coming to your website? Sure. We're, We're really focused on social media, especially Twitter. Twitter is really where we get a lot of traffic from and also more and more from Instagram and Pinterest. I think anybody who has products that, are visual or that can be showcased visually, um, all of those companies are really in a good position to be using those tools, Twitter included, actually, because we always find that if we include an image with a tweet that we just get so much more traction from it, so much more visibility. So we're very, very active there, and we have a very active social media following. So it's not just the number of followers or the number of fans. It's also how engaged they are with your brand and how many of those convert to, to buyers, ultimately, which is what you really want. So we're very active there. Uh, we also have a very strong um, newsletter as well um, that we send out about once a month, and we try and keep it 
you know, keep it, keep the content really engaging. So it's not just a big sales letter because we all get enough of those right. in our inboxes. I just delete them. <laughs> I don't even open them. <laughs> I think that's what most people do. Yep. Um, and, but with regards to Facebook ads, that's, that's an interesting story. So we are actually banned. I, I'm actually personally banned from doing any Facebook advertising. Real, real, well, um, yeah, because they're pretty strict <laughs> on all that stuff, right? Well, they're really strict, except that um, we got banned, or, or O Canada's ads got banned during a time when um, Durex was r- running some pretty strong um, condom ads. Really? Um, <laughs> which I, and I love that company. I love Durex. Like nothing, nothing against them whatsoever. But it was just a very strange turn of events where we were like, "Oh, we're only actually showing lingerie images." And it doesn't seem to seem like Facebook is completely anti-sex, so why are they anti-us? It was a very strange thing. But in any case, that's that's going to be true for pretty much any kind of, um, any sex-positive business. Right. Is that it's really difficult to advertise on a lot of the, the conventional social media platforms. Twitter ads is another one, too, that's not open to us. Right. Wow. That's, yeah, that's really interesting. So you really have to flex your muscle in social media and put the time in there to really engage the audience. Yeah, definitely. And I think on social media too, one of the reasons we've become successful there and continue to see a lot of success there is that we, we look at other companies that have a similar audience to us and we look at what their messaging looks like and we try to emulate it, but in our own style. We're, we're very careful about our brand voice as well. We're unapologetically girly and flirty and funny, or at least we try to be. And so what we do is we look at how other companies, for us, it's beauty. Like we look, we look outside of our industry in order to get inspiration for how uh, these other companies are, are, are attracting new followers and fans. Mm. And that's a really good idea. They, uh, it's, you know, why recreate the wheel? I think that most marketing and digital marketing strategists that I'll talk to will say something exactly like that, which is, you know, don't recreate the wheel, go find where your audience is already, and go see what they're really engaging with, and then create something of your own that's similar to that. That's really brilliant. Absolutely. And I, I think the other thing that a lot of us do, and I think that I've made this mistake many times before, too, is that we look at our closest competitors, and we say, what are they doing really well and how can I emulate that? But the difficulty there is that they've already won there, mm, right? Yeah. You, you don't need to play that game because you're entering too late essentially into the competition if that's the way you're going to go about it. Right. So instead, we find it much more useful to look at other companies outside of our industry um, for inspiration there. Mm. Um, you mentioned email marketing a little bit earlier as far as like sending out yeah. a newsletter. Do you, do you do more regular emails that go out or just a once a month newsletter? Uh, we basically only, we keep it to once a month. Um, we're careful in terms of how much we, we, we want to make sure that when somebody opens an email from us that we have something important to say. Yeah. So, so, and for some companies it works great. I, and I, and I know this from, you know, the business coaches that I work with. For some companies, it makes sense to send something out every week or, or even twice a week in some cases. But for us, we really found that the, the once-a-month newsletter makes the most sense for us. There are some exceptions to this. So a couple of times a year, we'll do um, some really interesting promotions. They're not so much sales as they are sort of free gifts with purchase or, or something of that nature. 
And we will send that as a standalone email, but we make sure it looks very distinct from our actual newsletter. Right. So, um, you know, I want to I want to come back around to the fact that you have multiple businesses. <laughs> my sure. my initial question before we kind of get into the specifics of the consultancy is how in the world do you balance everything? And and I'm saying this because I don't believe in balance, but you know, like how how are Me you? Me neither. And I love that you said that. That's I'm serious. Well, exciting. I heard. I think it was Oprah one time who said. Um, you know, that she sees balance or life like you're standing on a BOSU ball. So, you know, even though you're quote unquote balancing, you're never on equilibrium. You're always kind of right. moving one way or the other. And just whatever, you know, needs your attention full full on at that particular moment. So, um, you know, for somebody and for anyone listening who is a, I've heard it described as a multi-passionate entrepreneur, but who really yeah, truly... Yeah, Mary Forleo says that, right? Okay. Um, so... I think that's where it is. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, how do you make so many things work and not get stuck in, oh my gosh, I'm working 18-hour days trying to make this all happen? Right. Very good question. So I want to start by saying one of the things that I'm, I think I'm most proud of is that so many people told me when I started both the consultancy, which, I mean, we have some very conservative or quote-unquote conservative clients with somewhat conservative audiences. And I started up at the same time. So many people told me, Katrina, there's no way that people are going to take you seriously if you're speaking on these big stages about dirty talk (laughs) and sex. And then you're going to turn around and consult and ultimately speak about entrepreneurship. And one of my favorite things in life has just been proving all of those people wrong. You know? Really, that you and, can be like to so many different things and be true to all those different things and it's, right. it works. Yeah. I mean, it works for me and I think it works for a lot of other people as well. And I think that's something that many people are really afraid of. I mean, myself included, right? That if you venture down one path, that all these other paths are therefore closed to you. So I think for me, it's really about, I I love situations that are the same but different. So I know that requires some explanation. But uh, for me, when I look at a new venture or a new project, there has to be something about it that's the same as something I've done before successfully. Right. But then there needs to be an element that's different enough that it scares me a little bit. Hmm. Because if I'm not if I'm not a little bit scared, then I'm probably not challenged by it and I'm probably not going to make any waves. And I love making waves. <laughs> I love that. I love that. So let me ask you this. What has been one of your most exciting projects that you've worked on in your consultant your consultancy practice or as a coach? Wow. Okay. There are so many. I'm not even really sure where to start. So um, at one point, I actually spent a month in Bombay in India. Um, and apparently, it's very politically correct to say Bombay if you've been there, but not if you haven't. I'm okay. not sure how that works. So, right. so Bombay, you're allowed to say it. Sure. <laughs> I guess. I guess. Maybe I'm taking liberties I shouldn't. But anyways, um, I, I did a month there consulting where it was a combination of both consulting and coaching. And so... I was looking at different departments and and sort of how they were functioning and in particular looking at the marketing department and figuring out how to increase profitability through marketing channels 
And then I was also coaching a rather green team of marketing managers and so doing a lot of one-on-one with them. And that was really exciting for me because, again, the idea of same but different, it was the same in that it was coaching and consulting and marketing, all things I'm very comfortable with, and it was different in that there were a lot of cultural differences that were exciting for me to learn about and also challenging in their own way. Mm. Now, you speak as well. Like, you go out and you're out, you travel a lot, you speak a lot, you're you know, you're out meeting with clients a lot. Um, you know, what What have you learned as a speaker after all these years? Because speaking in, a, in and of itself is, is, is really its own profession and business. So what have you learned as a speaker? I've learned that you really need to be, actually, you need to, you need to basically disclude a whole bunch of the stuff that people tell you about being a speaker. So maybe some of what I'm about to say is included in that. <laughs> Um, in that I feel like everybody has advice for speakers and I'm, and I'm not sure that a lot of it applies universally because I think what makes speakers, the standout speakers really stand out is that they're saying things that nobody else wants to say. They're talking about topics no one else wants to address or they have a really quirky style that captivates their audience. Mm. And so for me, one of the things that, everybody thought would be my Achilles heel in being a speaker has actually become my big differentiator. And that's the, I, I say on my website, actually, if you, if you want, uh, uh, if you, if you want your average keynote, you've got the wrong girl. Um, so I've, I've had more and more of the opportunity to talk about my two passions about sex and entrepreneurship and often now in the same presentation And that's been really exciting for me. I think for a lot of people, when they want to speak, they take a safe topic. But the safe topics are not what get you booked. Mm. At least not not what get you booked on the big stages. That's very true. Because there's so many people there. If you pick something that only you can speak about or only you can speak about in the way that you speak about it, that's where the magic is. Mm. So after all of these years of being an entrepreneur and building up all these different types of businesses, what has been one of, and I'm sure that there's more than one answer to this, but what has been one of the not so pretty moments, like the the moments that generally you're not talking about on a podcast when somebody wants to know about the success of your business, you know, <laughs> but th- these are the real, like, this is the real gunk of business. So what, describe like one of those moments that have been not so pretty and maybe really low and how have you gotten through it? Sure. Can I cheat and give you two? Absolutely. Okay. Thank you. Okay. So the first one, I, as much as I say that, oh, you know, it's, it's great. Of course you can do all of these things. And of course I talk about business and sex and usually that's well received because my audience is sort of self-selecting. Mm-hmm. However, it really came back to bite me at, at one point. So I was booked to, this was a couple of years ago, I was booked to speak to an audience of female entrepreneurs in Dubai. And I was super excited about it. Contracts were signed, flights were booked, everything was ready to go. I wasn't actually talking about anything sexy. I was talking about how you develop a business and okay. how you develop a business in a male-dominated industry. Okay. And then I, I, I got a call out of the blue a couple of weeks before I was supposed to go 
And the organizer said, I'm so sorry. We have to pull the plug on this because our sponsor doesn't like that you sell sex toys. Oh, boy. <laughs> wow. And it was, it, it was just devastating to me. And it was, it was very embarrassing in many ways, too, because I'd made it so public that I was, I was doing this big gig and I was very excited about it. And I'd love to tell you that I did something really productive with that, with that time, that sort of time of mourning after the fact. But really, I sat on my couch, I watched reality TV, I <laughs> ate expensive chocolate, and I drank even more expensive champagne and licked my wounds for a while. <laughs> that's, that's, honestly, that's honestly what I did. That's great. I'd love to say that I went to the opera or I did charity work or, or something like that, but I really didn't. Um, it was really painful, and there are a lot of things in business that I feel like I can just brush off, and I think that one for me was really personal, um, and it hurt me on an emotional level. Well, so, you know what? I really appreciate you sharing yeah. that because it, your personality <laughs> and everything, just in this conversation and most definitely when I was researching you, is very like... I am here, I am woman, this is who I am, and you will love it, and I'm proud of it. And to hear that, you know, that happened to you, and that was your reaction, and how much it hurt, I mean, it just really makes this all real. Like, this is all, like, yes, I mean, business is personal, you know, it does, and it's, your brand is so you, and so when you have somebody rejecting that, for whether they're stupid reasons or not, it doesn't really matter, you know, that still hurts. And so, you know, that's, uh, I appreciate you sharing that because that's a very real story. What's well, the, what's I mean, the other think, one? I think it's, oh, okay. Yeah. And I was going to say, I think it's really important to you to talk about failure. Yeah. Um, and I think that's an area that we avoid talking about. Right. And, and I think for me, a lot of the power in, in when I've spoken to audiences or, or even just one-on-one with, with business coaches, talking about those failures and being able to share those stories, a lot of power can come from that too. So I I really like this question actually. So that's funny that I just think a lot of people don't ask it too. They're afraid to ask the question. So kudos (laughs) to you for even asking. No, I want to, I want to know the dark stuff. (laughs) It (laughs) makes really selfishly, it makes me feel better about the fact that I struggle and you know, that I have just as many fails and I, and it's interesting because, um, you know, I, I was just saying this yesterday to a friend of mine where I'm like, everyone thinks you know I've been in I've been doing biz women rock for a year now and everyone thinks it's so gosh you have you've had such success it's great and yes I have I've definitely put in time and effort and sweat and tons of non out non-sleep hours in order to build build this business but it's not nearly where I want it to be and there's so many right you know many failures that have happened and big failures that have happened all along the way and I'm just like Oh man, if people only, I, I mean, and that's why I love talking about this stuff because I want to be real. I want it to be like, hey, you know what? Yes, I've been a year into this, but here's how I suck sometimes. And here's, <laughs> here's how I fall on my butt and, and it's not always pretty. And so, um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big believer in that. So anyway, what's yeah. number, what's number two? Okay. So, so number two was, um, at one point with, O. we received some very scary legal documentation. Ooh basically that was completely like there was no there was nothing to it but essentially um the legal office that that had serviced these papers and and the the company that serviced these papers was trying to basically say that we were in violation of copyright oh boy of another company and they had gone to our isp and had tried to shut us down shut down our site to top things 
to top it all off, this happened in mid-January, which is basically in the sex train lingerie industry, your peak period, right? Right before Valentine's Day. Oh, yeah. And all of a sudden, we were this small business with big business problems. And it was absolutely terrifying. So I was like, I don't have a, we don't have a legal department. Are you kidding me? Right. I mean, you know, we, we've done all the right things. You know, we've, we've dotted our I's and crossed our T's and that sort of thing. But what do I do about this? How do I respond to this? And it took me a couple of months of almost full-time work myself. Like it became my full-time job to sort through these copyright issues that were really just from a vindictive competitor. Oh, no. Wow. Because the thing is, when you're served legal papers, you have to respond, right? You have to respond in a timely manner. Right. Even if it's, it has nothing to do, you know, even if it won't hold up in court, you still have to respond in a certain way. And so while I should have been in the midst of, you know, helping my team continue to steward the rest of our marketing campaigns as we, we went through busy season, you know, I was locked in my, in my office basically working away on trying to sort out this legal stuff. Um, so, you know, not, not a fun time to be an entrepreneur when things like that get thrown at you. Right. I think that's just all part of the gig is you have to learn how to, you, like daily almost, kind of like learn how to deal with the smallest and biggest things that get thrown at you. So anyway, um, Katrina, I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Um, thank you so much for being here and for sharing so much about your business and your journey. And I'm really excited for everyone to listen. Oh, me too. Well, thank you so much for having me. I absolutely love your podcast. And um, I, I'm so excited to have been a part of it. favorite part of that entire conversation was her really opening up about the fact that, you know, somebody canceling the speaking gig on her because of, you know, the nature of what she does, that it really, she took it to heart and it really hurt her. And I just really appreciated her sharing that because, um, you know, like we all, it's not a show that we're putting on by any means. I mean, we're all strong and powerful women. You are just rocking it. You're building something great and you're out there and we're all doing this. But, you know, there are just some really kind of crappy things that happen every once in a while behind the scenes. And all of a sudden we don't feel like super women and, um, and it's okay. And so I really appreciated her sharing that. And uh, I would love to, you know, just keep on having that here so we all know that it's vulnerable this whole thing called business you know as awesome as biz women rock looks from the outside which it is super awesome there are some not pretty things that go on here and you know struggles that I have and we're just all figuring this out together which is what I love so anyway I love you and I'm so happy that you're here thank you so much for listening um hope you had a lovely sexy time listening to Katrina and I will see you on the next episode (laughs) 